Welcome to the Work Minus Podcast. We talk about what we need to drop from the way we think about work and what we need to replace it with to be prepared for the future. Go to workminus.com to see a transcript of this episode, more podcasts, articles, and a newsletter that connects you to the best ideas about work. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Chris Shok. He's the Global Head of Digital Workplace Practice at TCS, and this is Work Minus Email. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm so excited about this topic, something I've been waiting for for a while. But why don't you start off just telling us a little bit about yourself? So um, I had the digital workplace practice at TCS, which largely involves um, advising and implementing workplace technologies uh, for Fortune 1000 customers of TCS. So this includes some of the largest companies in the world. Um, and as you might imagine, um, uh, work can get quite messy inside large organizations. And in all too often, technology actually makes it harder as opposed to actually making it easier. And mm. so uh, our job involves really designing it in such a minimalist way that it actually makes people productive and creative. So that's what I do. Yeah. And uh, if people aren't familiar with TCS, they should be, but it's kind of like this underbelly if you're not familiar with it. So tell us about TCS a little bit. So TCS is uh, one of the world's largest technology companies. Um, it is the one with the largest market cap uh, right now. Um, it's a $20 billion um, global IT services company headquartered in India with operations in 70 plus countries uh, with over 400,000 employees. And we you know, largely do everything you know, from digital to back office um, to infrastructure services uh, for most Fortune 1000 companies. And you're obviously, you know, deep into technology. We're talking about digital workplace. Define for us that term, digital workplace. What does that mean for you? The digital workplace um, has, um, in my opinion, three layers. Uh, the, the lowermost layer is the, the technology or the foundational layer, which has to do with your office desktops, uh, the email systems and collaboration systems that you use, the networking equipment, and so on. Um, and then uh, you start to have, at the next layer, is some of the workplace applications uh, that you use that are slightly more advanced, your intranet um, you know, even applications that allow you to schedule meetings uh, for so on, you know, one level above just the, the infrastructure layer. Um, and then at the next level, you actually start to have uh, the overarching cultural and behavioral aspects of the workplace in whether it enables, here's where both the physical and the digital and the behavioral combine to enable employees to actually work in a more engaging, uh, work in a more creative manner and so on. So in, in a sense, the digital workplace straddles all of these three layers. Okay. So you said email makes the foundation for it. Let's start there because we're talking about work minus email. We're actually trying to get rid of yes. email to a certain extent. So give me your interpretation of, of the history of email, how it kind of came about and how it came to really dominate most communication forms. Sure. It has. Interestingly enough, email is far older than the Internet. Um, email is over 50 years old. Um, and you know, it, it actually started with the U.S. Department of Defense uh, original project called the ARPANET, which eventually grew um, into the Internet. It's uh, a gentleman by the name of Ray Tomlinson was the first man to send an email across the ARPANET network, uh, which originally was uh, designed to connect uh, university and research laboratories that were working for the U.S. Department of Defense. Right. Um, and what was fascinating is that the that the original email was designed as a digital 
uh, replacement for office memos. Mm -hmm. uh, largely, again, because these were small teams that were spread across. And so obviously not, you know, 20,000 people in a single skyscraper where you could use office memo systems and so on. Uh, so these were distributed. So they needed a digital equivalent, right? So that's how it began. And what's fascinating is that within a few years, 75% of all ARPANET traffic was email. So we were pretty addicted to email uh, <laughs> even back then. <laughs> So that's how it began, and then it eventually eventually evolved into you know corporate email um, as as multinational corporations began to have offices um, in more places than just a single you know skyscraper in a downtown in U.S. and they began uh, global companies and so on. Um, you started having the first generation of really sophisticated email software from IBM Lotus Notes um, and then Microsoft's Exchange and so on, and then came you know sort of uh, consumer webmail that sort of democratized email for everyone mm -hmm. uh, started off with hotmail yeah. uh, which and and then yahoo mail and then obviously gmail you know came and ate, you know, ate all of them up because it just made uh, email dead simple powerful and gave you unlimited storage and so on so that's a very very sort of uh, uh, a 20000 feet view of uh, email's history if you will so you mentioned uh, being addicted to email so what is it about is, is there some kind of like element of email that, that's so powerful that people were drawn to it. That's like, wow, this is the perfect communication channel for them. Yeah. So I, I think there are two elements to this. Um, on, on the one hand, if you think about um, email as the almost digital skeuomorphic, if you will, replica of office memo systems. Uh, and for those of your listeners who don't know how those systems work, they were actually sorting offices. There were lots of employees. There were these you know, systems, uh, vacuum-filled tubes that would sort of have these, uh, that would shuttle memos, uh, you know, up to the 70th floor and so on. And people, you would actually have a two trays on your desk called in and out. That's how we, you know, the term <laughs> inbox and outbox came. Yeah. And the people would write memos and attach with paper clips anything else they wanted to and write who they wanted to send it to. And a human being would come with this, you know, mobile tray and then take your emails, uh, take your memos and then, you know, send it to whoever. Right? So that's how it, and if you if you look at your email client, um, it, it, every one of these things, you know, sort of suggests that history. Our send button is literally an envelope, right? You know, attachment is actually a physical paper clip. None of it actually makes sense in a digital world, but right. you know, we still sort of refer to those. But what is quite different about the, the digital uh, version of email is that the moment you started having inboxes and this notion of, oh, you have 20 unread emails uh, and so on, uh, email software obviously constantly evolved to improve uh, the user experience to the point where the, the design encouraged you to keep checking email. So eventually we got to the point by once the mobile phone came that you started getting mobile notifications, right? So earlier you would have to get to office in the morning, which is when you see your email. But with mobile phones, uh, you literally get emails, you know, around the clock um, and those notifications keep coming. And so there's this also this dopamine sort of satisfaction when you uh, get your inbox count to zero, uh, although it's increasingly becoming near impossible now. Um, and the second thing is, is the fact that uh, you get this illusion that you're constantly in touch. You're also you know, giving off the illusion that you're constantly working, even if you're not in the office. So all of these things sort of eventually made email something that uh, any corporate employee was largely simply addicted to. And even if they weren't, uh, you simply had to get addicted because there was no other way to demonstrate that you were working. Yeah, I find this fascinating that at some point when people said, you know, I'm working right now, that meant something different. And then it became, I'm in my email client, like I'm, I'm answering emails that is working. It almost became synonymous to that, even though you're really just talking. It's just a fascinating thing that happened. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. right? So it's that sort of shift from the industrial 
uh, worker to the knowledge worker, right? Um, and even, even within the knowledge worker phenomenon, email came much later. Uh, a knowledge worker prior to email still spent a fair amount of time on what, you know, what would be considered actual work. I mean, if he was an engineer, he would be sitting and doing calculations. Uh, uh, if he was an accountant, he would be looking at the books. Uh, but it is quite scary that we've now reached a point that more than half of your time in a knowledge work uh, sort of environment is spent just sending emails, uh, which is patently ridiculous. Yeah. So let's assume that with the advent of Gmail, that was the height of, of email's reign. Even, you know, Google's core offering to offices now, G Suite, is, is built around the fact that people won't say, okay, I want something that links with, with Gmail that has that ability to it. Talk us through the downfall of email, how it's kind of come to a point where it's hated, where it's, it's overused, where it's misused. What do you see for that? So, so what the fascinating thing is that uh, uh, the, the downfall of email came about as a result of software getting better and better and making it easier to send email, right? Um, in the uh, Back when internet bandwidths were low, uh, you could not send very large attachments. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, you, you were limited in uh, the number of emails you could send. And the first generation of email, you had to be online while you were actually composing your email, which actually made things quite expensive uh, because data costs were pretty high and you had to be hooked up to a modem and online to, to even type your email, right? The rise of offline clients, the fact that you could now compose your email, not be connected, hit a send button and your system will you know, send it behind the scenes. All of these essentially encourage bad behavior, if you will, right? So once emails became cheap, uh, people started sending them for completely silly reasons. And I think the worst culprit is the, the carbon copy function, which again, for most of your listeners, it's called carbon copy because in the original office memo system, there would be a carbon paper that would make a copy of the actual message that you wanted to send to somebody. Uh, and, and now it's, you know, carbon copy and BCC. And the bane of every corporate employee's existence is essentially uh, being carbon copied on emails that one has to do nothing for, right? So it's just there in your inbox. You're just being CC'd and people are, you know, doing reply all. And so the av once the average number of emails an employee is getting went over 50 a day, um, you can see how that's starting to get quite ridiculous. I think that was the downfall, right? Um, in a physical paper world or in a world where it was harder to send emails, you would actually only get about 10 memos or 10 memos a day is actually, you know, too much, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the physical nature of it actually made people think about the fact that, no, I really don't want, you know, 50 pieces of paper sitting on my um, inbox. Uh, but in the digital world, you have no sense of that, right? Or it's sending is easy, receiving is easy, and basically just we we let people uh, hit the reply all button, uh, you know, with with abandon, um, and now we have this huge problem. So that was essentially, in some sense, the start of the downfall because people couldn't deal with a hundred emails a day or two hundred emails a day. You know, for example, a few months back, I had two thousand hundred emails because I was on a one week vacation. Oh gosh, <laughs> right? So you can imagine how how bad that is. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, the best way you can support us is to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Or better yet, start a conversation with a friend about how you think we can make work better. Thanks. Yeah. And I think about, you know, if we go back more than 50 years before email was there, if you imagine that all of your workforce just hung out in the mailroom, right? You talk about this mailroom where there's vacuum tubes. People just like were standing around waiting for something. They're constantly checking their box that nothing's coming in. They check it again five minutes later. They check it again. You, you think that's, you know, absurd for people to be working like that. Yet that's essentially what we're doing now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's actually, uh, what's, what's, what's actually interesting is that as a, 
as a digital collaboration tool, um, really, there's increasing evidence that email is ideal for uh, small group private conversations uh, that are uh, that are asynchronous in the sense that you're not actually expecting a reply uh, within the next minute. Right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is that we treat email as if it's actually like chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we expect real-time responses, um, and 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 we actually end up including fifty or hundred people in these distribution lists, um, and and those distribution lists also make it worse because sometimes there are emails in a large enterprise that are addressed to multiple distribution lists, which mm-hmm. are in turn made up of distribution lists. So you could literally be sending an email to you know tens of thousands of employees uh, without you even realizing it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's the crazy thing. So, it, in, and the other interesting thing is that it's, it's increasingly obvious that it's not a great tool for for day to day team coordination at all, uh, because it's just hard to make things out if everything is chronological and it's not divided into appropriate threads. Although there's a lot of this, uh, uh, it requires on your discipline to read every email, move it into the right folder, or set up complex rules, which you have to keep changing every time the email format changes and so on, for you to be truly productive with email, which most people do not have the time for. So it's just that recognition that people need to use different tools for different use cases, and email isn't the one tool that you must use for every single form of communication. It's only good for certain small forms of communication, ideally like an email from your CEO that, that you get once in a quarter, or an important legal announcement where you need to know if people have read it or not and ideally for communicating with people from other companies right uh, because you can't you know internally you ought to be using more of a conversational tool like a slack or a or a, or a microsoft teams and that's really what's more productive for for a lot of uh, uh, workers and that's what makes startups which generally don't tend to use email slightly more productive than large organizations yeah well, well let's get into that what are some of the solutions you see that's the more progressive clients you work with or the companies that are, that are really out there, how have they limited the use of email and what are they replacing it with? So we've seen some fascinating, you know, so let me, let me talk about uh, the fact that before the actual technological alternatives to email started coming up, uh, the smartest companies were trying to figure out ways to reduce the glut of email, right? So they tried very creative approaches. Um, I remember, uh, for example, even in our own company, uh, we we had the option, for instance, several years, almost five or six years back, to increase the attachment size uh, that you would allow within your corporate network. And we decided not to increase it because what we felt is that if I increase the attachment size that you can send to 100 MB, uh, people will send 100 MB files and it's only going to make things worse, right? So we act, organizations actually started to actually make email harder, right? So, for example, many companies don't let you send emails to more than 50 people. Uh, They say that, no, you know what, if an email is being sent to more than 50 people, that should be a blog post, right? It's it's not an email. It's not private anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, a couple of other creative, but, you know, solutions that really didn't take off was uh, there was this one company some six or seven years back that attempted to make the entire email ecosystem uh, sort of like a gamified economy, right? So they introduced a virtual currency, which every employee would get at the start of the day. um, And then you had to attach that virtual currency to every email you send as an indicator of how important you think it is. And it's finite, right? So you want to save most of your currency for your most important email. And you want to, you don't want to attach it to emails that you don't think are very important. So the idea is that by default, your inbox would be sorted based on the amount of currency that's been attached. And in some sense, 
a better mechan a market-based mechanism for a sender to indicate this is really important to me. So please read this first, right? But the problem today is that the default email view is chronological. That's a terrible way to be productive. Yeah. Uh, when you can't really know what's an important message, what's a you know what's a notification from a system, what's you know spam from my you know bank they're trying to sell me a new mortgage. So it's just it's, it's just become a massive mess, and there's no way to really uh, do this. And then once what happened around. The rise of platforms like you know Google Hangouts uh, and then Slack was really the first uh, innovator in the space of really you know designing a, a collaboration tool that had all the the technical capabilities of email in being able to message someone you know being being both mobile as well as desktop uh, being able to send attachments and files and being able to integrate with a you know corporate Active Directory of some sort. Uh, but essentially be able to keep messages in different threads, each of which you could assign different priorities. You could choose to check some of them and not choose to check some other threads. And all information was automatically organized. And when a new person joined the team, uh, you didn't have to forward them, you know, 100 emails to bring them up to speed. But they were already you know, onboarded because they could see that full you know, sort of message history and so on. Right. And it gave the user far more control over when I want notifications, what threads are more important. Um, and 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 you know opportunities to simply say that look you know what I'm I'm off the grid right now so don't send me notifications and so on. So this was obviously the first and this really became big amongst the startup ecosystem. And pretty soon we had Microsoft build pretty much uh, a very similar product called Microsoft Teams, and you had other uh, uh, companies building these sort of conversational collaboration systems that were not meant to be a complete replacement, but the positioning is more of you know, use this for team coordination and use email for more, you know, large scale organizational messaging and perhaps for collaborating with people outside your organization. So that's sort of been the evolution of alternatives to email that have come about. Yeah. Uh, Chris, let's look forward in the future a little bit. Let's say we're having this conversation five years from now. And now instead of work minus email, we're talking about work minus Slack, work minus Microsoft Teams, because they're, they're not perfect solutions. What are some of the limitations that you feel like are going to just be exacerbated over the next five years as people continue to use these tools? I, I think there's a larger philosophical point here. So what I'm what I'm starting to see now is is that e- email or or Slack or Teams uh, they're not they're not necessarily designed in a way that's actually healthy. Uh, for us on the long run, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're not designed uh, to sort of swim in an ocean of notifications um, and be relentlessly bombarded with uh, applications that want to grab our attention. And and we're already seeing the evidence of that from, you know, other consumer social media applications, be it Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, all of which use sort of persuasive design in rather devious ways to keep you hooked, right? And to get you to consume, uh, you know, small bits of, you know, get a small dopamine rush from somebody liking something you did or somebody sending you a response or you know you clearing your inbox of all messages and so on so there is this larger movement towards people detoxing uh, from overuse of of digital tools I, i think we i still believe we are in the first generation of people saying no to email and embracing newer tools and you're absolutely right uh, there are already companies saying, I, I just can't deal with the number of notifications on, on Slack. You know, if I had 100, 100 emails, I have 400, 100 messages on Slack. And this isn't actually, you know, helping me out. And in many cases, it's often because users don't have the time to sit and personally configure the priority levels of notify me about this, don't notify me about this. And I think the single biggest technological improvement we see is AI that you can train 
so that your collaboration systems that you use, no matter what they are, be it email, be it Slack, be it you know a new collaboration tool that will come up uh, and so on in the future, each of them will adapt themselves to your working style. I mean, if you are someone who likes a summary at the end of the day or does not like to be deserved for hours on end, then the system will adapt to that and summarize all the key things that you need to do instead of making you read, you know, 40,000 you know, words from so many emails, but really summarize stuff that you need to do. And I think that is essentially what uh, we are. We're in the phase where we're actually overusing technology. Um, and in some sense, we are we're thinking that here's a technology. Let's, you know, let's find a let's find a problem for it. Right. I mean, that's the phase we're in now. And I think we will eventually start to see uh, human beings pushing back uh, and then ultimately a lot more personalized AI driven approach to helping you manage uh, the work style and the collaboration style that best works for you. Yeah. Like you said, we, we can't just transfer the number of emails to notifications and multiply it. That doesn't really solve the problem. But this is good because we have to figure out, like we, we talk about in the show a lot, we, we need to work as humans and humans can't process so many messages at one time. So we need to find a way to delimit those and to work with technology to improve that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have turned off, I use the, uh, ever since iOS introduced the screen time uh, control mechanism, I actually have uh, reduced my social media use to about uh, about 15 to 30 minutes a day. And it used to be two hours. Hmm. I was checking Twitter relentlessly. And, uh, you know, I now I now have a decent sense of how much time I'm actually spending inside my, you know, uh, Outlook or Mail client or within my office, uh, Microsoft Teams. Um, and I'm really looking to reduce that as well, right? So ultimately, it's not, these are all the same sides of the same, you know, two sides of the same coin, right? Yep. Uh, Twitter or social media, no, not really any different from the digital collaboration tools used for work. I mean, you can convince yourself uh, that, but you know, this is work and that isn't. Uh, but it isn't, it actually prevents you, it, 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 these, these are go-betweens between uh, you and another human being. The ideal way of communicating with another human being is to walk over to their desk and talk to them, right? I mean, <laughs> nothing nothing replaces that. But if you cannot, uh, if you cannot do that, um, and if it's, the timings don't work out, I mean, you can't always meet someone, uh, you may not be in the same place. Yes, you can use video conferencing, you can use chat, you can use email. All these are go-betweens, right? But they're nothing like actually engaging with people and brainstorming um, and sort of co-locating and getting things done. And in some sense, a lot of, I think a lot of work cultures uh, should really be focused on maximizing that rather hmm. than drown people in emails um, and, in, and in meetings that are completely unproductive. Uh, you know, I think a lot of these newer systems as a combination of culture plus a bit of AI plus a bit of personalization um, and a lot of ground rules uh, should really focus on reducing these technological sort of interventions around purely collaboration um, and instead uh, encourage the serendipitous exchange and, and meeting of actual real people um, and flowing of ideas and so on. Novel, real people meeting together. It's a great idea. <laughs> Chris, tell us, what do you think? Email is going to be around for another 50 years? What do you think? It will. It will absolutely be around um, at the, while the usage may reduce and hopefully you know you know we've 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 made some very silly mistakes that we could undo even now right you know even my corporate email is actually more than 75 percent of that email is system notifications mm -hmm. uh, from my claim system my you know crm system and so on and and all of that is mixed up with actual human conversations and first and foremost we got to fix some of those very basic low-hanging fruit issues i think email will be around uh people will will actually go back to uh, using it primarily for small one-on-one, -on -one, small group, private conversations, and preferably conversations outside the boundaries of your organization when, when you really can't use chat, right? There is a room for 
there is obviously room for asynchronous communication. And that's mm-hmm. really what email is. Chat is synchronous. Um, there's an expectation of immediacy. There's an expectation of um, more of a very transactional, you know, here's something you need to do to coordinate um, and get something done today, um, as opposed to the more uh, leisurely sort of more uh, long-term sort of thinking. You know, I remember uh, our, you know, as one of our executives once said back in the BlackBerry days is that the organization would make better uh, decisions if we just remove the O and K button from the BlackBerry because people were reading um, important requests on tiny screens and making very poor decisions by quickly saying okay or that's basically an approval that would then you know go have other financial you know implications uh, uh, you know going forward and he said that this is essentially that you if you're making a complex financial decision please don't rely on a BlackBerry please look at it on a larger screen look at data. Uh, and so on. And I think we have to somehow learn that some of our digital behaviors are not optimal at all. Um, and it's and I think it's an ongoing journey. I think email will be around. Hopefully, people will use it only for, as I said, asynchronous communication outside of your, you know, core team, if you will. That's really what email is for. Yeah, Krish, it's been great to speak with you. You're a very insightful guy. Your Twitter feed is hilarious. You you have a lot of wit and personality you bring to it. So, how can people stay in touch with you? Uh, they can uh, follow me on Twitter. That's uh, Krish Ashok, K-R-I-S-H, A-S-H-O-K, on on Twitter. Um, And or email me at uh, uh, K-R-I-S-H, A-S-H-O-K at gmail.com. Okay, so you want them to email you, huh? (laughs) Yeah, so I've cleaned up my Gmail to the point where there's no spam now. So uh, my email is actually, so I'm pleasantly surprised that nowadays, times I open my Gmail inbox with no new messages. (laughs) So I'm really happy about that. (laughs) Excellent. Well, great. Krish, it's been great to speak with you and uh, we look forward to connecting more. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, if you're the kind of person who listens to the very end, you must be a fan. Now, we are building a team of people who really love what we're talking about who want to go deeper. If you want to interact with guests, drive the content of Work Minus, and give feedback on our work before it goes public, send an email to neil at workminus.com. It's N-E-I-L at workminus.com, and I'll get you connected.